Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, next episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. We've been like dead quiet. I think I've only done one podcast episode this year. Um, it seems like the year's flown so by so fast. We've uh, We've been, uh, you know, rocking it out in practice. We've been doing a lot more one-on-one work. Um, yeah, and it just seems like it's been kind of crazy. And I'm again joined with my by my uh, my amazing wife, uh, Brandy. Welcome to the podcast again. What you've only done one this year? That was the one we did in January. It's yeah, crazy. it's been a little bit stagnant. We just well, it just it seems like time just flew by, right? We've been actually funny because now we're working one on one with people. We're uh, we're chatting with them on a regular basis, and so it kind of like fills up the whole day. Um, so sure does. Yep. So it seems like it's funny we haven't been able to travel. Like again, this is all about adapting to the environment, and so um, I don't know. We, we've we've enjoyed it. I've, I've, I thought it's been pretty fun, and uh, our yeah. people are crushing it. So it's also a really good positive feedback. <laughs> Yeah, it has been fun watching people grow like that, especially at a time where it's we're still in all of the stuff we were in a year ago when we first did this podcast and couldn't believe what was happening. So yeah. here we are a year later. So basically, this is going to be coming out in April, and uh, and this is just over a year of when we all got shut down. And uh, and for those that like to look at their stats year on year, uh, this is always kind of a fun time to look at it because you're basically closed last year. <laughs> so yeah. So if you survive through last year, which again, a lot of the people we work with really focus on uh, shaving down that overhead and trying to get really lean um, so that when we're coming out the other side of it, like uh, you can kind of have already a a pre jump. And a lot of people we're working with are doing really well. And and I think right now, I don't think it's ever been a better time in history of the world to be a chiropractor because never in in my life um, have I've ever seen so many people needs so much. And, and, and if you're kind of like me and I, I like a little bit of that positive feedback, you see, you see insane differences after adjustments now, because the stress response is so intense with everybody and they're so stagnant and they're not moving and they're sitting at their computer. And uh, like for us, our gym's just open, but the gym's basically been closed for like three months. So nobody's exercising it's a, it's a train wreck. So um, we know movement is the foundation of everything we do in the vitality shift and there has been no movement. So what have been your observations, my dear, just from, from um, I'm always just seeing the people face to face and you're, you're doing the air traffic control and the calling people and the, and dealing with all the stuff that if you didn't deal with it, I would never be able to deal with what I do. Totally. Like right now is the most important time to try to be able to focus. And with all the restrictions and the rules and stuff, like you're the, you're the ninja of, of enforcing that. So. Well, I think the very thing that we were happy about a year ago was the very thing that made at least for us and a lot of offices uh, more tiring is uh, the flow because we had an office that was, that is and was bang and full of people. And so it was not unusual to have 10 or 12 people in our, 
in our reception area or in our office at one time, visiting with one another, super loud and chaotic. And uh, we liked it like that. And so once that stopped, it became and still is a constant minute by minute uh, battle to not only organize people's needs, because there's still a lot of people who feel really isolated. So they come in and still, still are in that pattern of behaving, but they're, they can't really do that anymore. So now we're having to say no way more than we ever said before. No, you can't come in. No, you can't call last minute. No, you can't come in and visit. No, you can't come in and wait with a, no, you have to go in your car. And so like every probably two or three minutes, myself or my staff are running around, um, stopping people at the door, phoning people, telling them to wait for us. So yeah, it's uh, it's complicated these days for sure. So it's, um, but I think for us, we decided that we were going to do whatever it took to see the people we saw before in our business, the same amount of people with less hours and 50 times the restrictions we had before. And whatever that took to do that, we were going to do it. And that's exactly what we did. And I think that is how we got to where we are. Um, and how our clients now got to where they are, where they're having record months and record weeks. And everybody pretty much around the world, with the exception of maybe New Zealand and Australia in some places, are fully uh, still in some type of restrictive environment to practice. Yeah, and I think it's uh, that's one of the biggest things we've learned is, you know, we could have complained. We could have like, it is annoying. It is annoying to have all these restrictions and and we could be. Uh, you know, fighting things that we have no control over, or we could just go, okay, what can we do? Like I was, I was, I was saying, uh, we've been watching um, a couple different movies lately, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But I always, I always use sports analogies, and if you're playing against someone in sports and they change up the defense on you, and uh, what determines a professional against amateur is an amateur will just stomp their feet and say, well, this isn't working, and this all sucks, and I hate it, and stuff. And then a professional will be like, okay, this is a different, this is a different defense. Um, how am I going to change up my offense so that I can still, so I can still succeed in this environment? And I, and this just shows how important it has been to focus on what you can control, uh, focus on what you can do and be innovative in how to maximize what you can do even in a, in a limited environment. So, so today, that's why we wanted to get in to um, you know, kind of between um, us in practice and also all the 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 one on one clients we're starting to work with now, um, kind of our three keys to COVID bounce back because around the world, you know, there's still some there's still the lingering effects of the restrictions and all that stuff. But I think like within a year, it's really going to be there's going to be some differences, and we're really going to be coming out of this because again, we've already had a year of this. So now we're going into a new year of everybody used to this. So that, like COVID is not a new thing for us. It's, there's going to be a variant and there's going to be a new variant and viruses are going to mutate all the time. And that's just how they have, that's just how, that's the law of the universe. So eventually everybody will understand that and then we'll be able to move on with life. Um, hopefully. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe not. And if not, we're still going to adapt to it, right? We're still going to, we're still going to pivot. So um, we're, we're just like, at the, we're in the mindset of like, bring it on. Like, it's kind of like when you're playing sports and you're in the zone, you're like, come on, bring any defense against us and we're still going to adapt. It's basically the matrix. Every time we got shot, he just like, basically it slows down time and he just like avoids it. That's how we feel like we're practicing in the matrix right now. Like, and every day something new comes on and, and when people are like, well, when is this? What about this? I'm like, I have no idea. When the bullet comes, you're going to do the same thing you did before, like the matrix. Like you, you slow down time and you, you avoid it as much as you can and you change. And like the, what the other option is that it will absolutely eat you alive. 
And if you don't learn that and you haven't learned that, you're going to be burnt out by now for sure. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the number one key to bouncing out of this COVID uh, mess um, is something that actually I'm going to bring up now from our little series that we watched was called Last Chance You Basketball. And so it's really cool because it has a lot of these uh, um, kids who it's their last chance to basically get a NCAA scholarship. And so these are junior colleges in Los Angeles. And, and a lot of these kids are, are super talented, but they had just had a really, really tough upbringing. And, uh, and they're basically like, uh, like, like kind of like a bomb ready to go off. And, and so when we were watching this, we we're saying, this is so funny. It's not as an extreme as, as chiropractors we work with, but it, it does give a really good example of what, if you can't, if you don't have a gr grasp on this, you'll never hit the success that you ever want to hit. And so we always, uh, there's this one guy uh, who's a basketball player, super talented. Uh, and the funny thing is he never gets a starting role. And the reason he never gets a starting role is because he's like a crazy hothead. Like one little thing happens, he gets a foul on him and he loses his mind, like crazy loses his mind. And so he, he kind of starts to a little bit throughout the whole season, start to get a little bit better at this. But, but this is, is basically called state management. And, it, and if you do not have a grasp on how to, how to control your state, uh, you just can't get any momentum anywhere because every time any adversity hits you, it basically throws you off in a tailspin. So I, I like to use that analogy because we're, every time we watch shows, we're always like, hey, this is just like chiropractic. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, we watched a lot of shows in the last year. We're just saying that. We're going through show out. <laughs> we were going through Netflix and we're like, oh my gosh, this is near lockdown. <laughs> We've seen <laughs> everything. <laughs> this is not very good. So, you're, uh, Brad, you're, you're kind of in helping people uh, manage their state. Why don't you kind of get into a little bit about what we see with chiropractors, maybe what some things people out there can do to help manage their state? Well, back to that kid that we're talking about in this particular documentary, he's he lost his Div 1 scholarship because of his inability to handle his, what they call, his coach calls his response. He's, he's always talking, the coach is always working with this kid around his response. And the very thing that makes this kid so incredibly innately talented is his impulsiveness. He can on the court change like he's super impulsive. And so he'll get in there and he's massively competitive. So those two impulse, the, his impulsiveness and his competition style make him a very talented basketball player. The problem is he's competitive and impulsive when things don't go his way. And so I think that with applying that story to chiropractors, what we found is that a lot of this strength that many innately talented chiropractors have is their real um, empathic, connected response to people. Um, they don't need to work very hard at that. It's, I call them naturally talented chiropractors. They are just, they don't need to work on their people skills. They don't need to work on their connection skills. They don't need to work on their ability to uh, be charismatic or personable. Like that is not the problem. However, those very skills that make them so naturally talented become the barriers for them to uh, pivot strategically because they, they don't think that way. So they don't know how to be strategic about making change and they get stuck in the patterns of 
you know, either worrying about what people think or worrying about the change process, how that'll affect others. They don't know how to make decisions for themselves. They're always making decisions with only other people in mind. So that's an example of the very thing that makes them talented is the very thing that keeps them stuck. And I think that um, state management, as we call it, or the ability to handle your response to things, as they say in the show, is has been the key for many of these chiropractors who have done very well, is they have started to recognize that their state is not an outside strategy, but it's an internal feeling that they have. And I did the last podcast we did on, on trauma, I talked about that in your body feeling. And your state is not your behavior. That's what happens after your state has been launched already. So this kid that you know punches lockers and freaks out the, at the refs, he starts to, you see him actually build, build, build up in the game. You can start to see his frustration start to grow and it doesn't take long before he's tipped over the edge where now he can't, he can't reel it back. Um, so that's the severe example. Like with a lot of chiropractors, you start to feel something come on. Most chiropractors don't know what it is and they either ignore it because they, they think they can think their way out of it or it paralyzes them and they don't know how to let it move through them. And so I think state management is not about uh, the, the misunderstanding of state management means you stop your state and change another one. But in order to do that, it's, it's more of not stopping it. It's actually that it flows through you. You recognize it, you acknowledge it, and then you let it go through you because you can't stop it. If you're going to stop it, you either need to replace it with something so significantly different, but some of it is actually your innate skill. So you don't want to replace your empathic feeling with something else. You want that. However, if it's boundaryless, you don't have any boundaries around it, then that's not possible. So you need to realize when it's becoming a barrier for you or when it's, when it's actually a, a, a strength of yours to move you through something that you need to move through. Yeah, and I find that like a lot of this uh, stuff for state management basically bubbles up from your subconscious mind. So something in your environment that's like a trigger um, that's related usually to something happened when you're younger or something you haven't dealt with in the past. And then this trigger bubbles up, triggers your subconscious mind, and then your subconscious mind just blasts right into your conscious mind. And because you're not used to guarding your, your conscious mind, it just then just overwhelms your conscious mind. And then all of a sudden you just have these ebb and flow of moods all the time. And then that's totally um, basically being a victim to your environment because you're just walking around and anything in your environment triggers you and sends you off. And this is a little bit of a challenge at first because you have to become aware because you need to be aware so that you catch it at the beginning. Cause just like this little basketball player, if he was able to catch it when he was just a little bit perturbed, yeah, <laughs> It'd be a lot, uh, a lot easier to catch it than when he's like lost his mind. Because when he's lost his mind, like he can't even stop himself. His team yeah. can't even stop himself. Even his coach, who he respects, can't even talk to him uh, because he's kind of gone off the rails. And so, I think that's part of it is 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 really working on increasing that awareness to catch it at the begin beginning. And we almost got to document it or journal it so that you understand when you're getting triggered, where that is, so that you can catch it at the beginning. Because, uh, yeah, it's like a runaway train. Like once it's, once it's gone, I think Joe Dispenza says, sometimes you have like, you get triggered by your environment and then you get into a bad mood. And then if you leave it, it turns into a bad temperament. And then if it, you leave it, it turns back into a bad personality. <laughs> right. Totally. That's like yeah. never recovering from the, from whatever that event it becomes was. who you are. And so I think like the, the, but it's super insidious for a lot of chiropractors, obviously, because they have, 
a huge intelligence. They have, they have a lot, they've done a lot of personal development work. They've done a lot of seminars. They've done a lot of goal setting. They've done a lot of vision boards. They've done a lot of stuff. Unfortunately, though, as soon as your frontal lobe is shut off, which is what happens with this kid, that doesn't bring it back. That doesn't bring it back online. And so you have to start to recognize inside you when that switch is about to turn off. Because once it's turned off, you don't bring it off online by, by sitting. In fact, if you ever think about yourself in that super frustrated state or super um, you know, uh, anxious state or fear-based state, that is not something that you can just sit and zen about. And, and so that is the myth of state management is because it is all self-regulation is all about acknowledging it. Self-regulation, it has nothing to do with ignoring it, numbing it, forgetting about it, pretending it doesn't exist, writing it away. You actually have to learn to acknowledge that, that that is part of who you are, that is happening for you. And then you can implement some things outside your body that will help you regulate if you are unable to regulate internally. But self-regulation actually means you can be pissed off and inspired. It actually means you can be sad and motivated. It actually means you can be fearful and energized. It actually means all of those things. It doesn't mean that that doesn't exist for you. And so in, in real, in true state management, it is actually the probably the better word that is probably more popular now these days is self-regulation. And it does not mean that you stop it. It means you acknowledge it. Because if you can't acknowledge it, it controls you. And if it controls you, everything controls you. And that is what we see with what's happening today. I see it with chiropractors all the time. They are hyper-focused on things they don't control. They are, they go down rabbit holes that they have no, they have no reason being down them like it's crazy and and it's it's a lack of self-regulation and it makes the brain feel better for a period of time because we can't acknowledge the fear the anxiety the um upset or whatever it is that we need to acknowledge and the reason that people don't acknowledge it is because they are terrified they're not going to be able to handle it if it comes up so rather than dealing with it we just try to ignore it and that's a myth i think taught by who knows where that came from, but we have taught people that you can't handle these and just leave it in the past. Don't worry about it. Don't bother, like, don't talk about it. If you bring it up, it's going to like create all this dramatic emotion stuff for you that you're not going to be able to handle, but that's not true. And the more you tamp it down, the more it controls you. And the more it comes up, the less it controls you because you can let it move through you and move on. Um, one, uh, one of the great uh, stories I remember we were at a Parker seminar and, uh, we heard a story of Nadal, the tennis player, and uh, this was an interesting story that was written talking about like state management and the physiology of tennis players. And they said often, basically all of tennis players, when, when someone gets a point scored against them, their physiology droops, right? They just go like, right? And, and they said the biggest difference with Nadal is that when someone scores a point on him, his, his, his posture improves. Like he actually goes... Yeah, you want some. So what he's done is he's actually trained in his mind when something happens to him that most people go, oh, and then they feel bad about themselves. Um, he actually, it actually amplifies his play. And, um, and so if we, if we have that ability to be able to, like I just said before, like, is there going to be other restrictions? Come, come at it, bring it, bring it on. 
um, I think I was interviewing uh, uh, Dr. Dara from Scotland and she was like, and I, and bring it on. And they, they, in Scotland, they have to wear all this, all the stuff. They got to wear the mask and the, and all the gloves, gloves and, the shield and the yeah, gown and the shield and stuff. And she's like, if, if I got to wear a tinfoil hat, bring me a tinfoil hat, bring it on. So like, it's, it's just having that mentality, um, just, just helps so much to get us through this time. Yeah. Especially when it, so I think it went like using adversity as your, um, as your rocket fuel means you can do like what Nadal did. He would have recognized that he's got two options. One of it is to be super disappointed in himself, which is what you will see the best, the best example is pro sports because you can see when people Tiger Woods was a great example of this when he was playing you he would get so mad at himself now had Tiger Woods not learned how to regulate that and use that against him he would have never made it in golf throwing the clubs and freaking out so this is what we do all the time insidiously in practice is we beat ourselves up the problem is we don't know how to move through it so we stay like that we stay with how crappy we are how what a crappy chiropractor we are why we can't keep people why people don't stay under care with us like we keep that rather than throwing a club and using it as as our fuel because we won't recognize that we're actually in that state so you can only change it when you recognize it and you acknowledge it and once you do that you can regulate it yeah, and I think that's a that's a huge thing. And it, it doesn't matter how long you've been in practice. We hear this all the time too. Once we work with people, they're like, "I should have figured this out by now." Totally. For too long. No, like it doesn't matter when you figure it out. You're, you're and again, a lot of the stuff. And then they they say that well, I've learned all this stuff before, and I haven't implemented it. But again, all that stuff has lead up to this, so that you can change it. So that's the same thing. Is it doesn't matter how long you've been in practice. It doesn't matter how long you've been trying to do it you're just usually like one inch away from actually being able to do it. So like, just don't be so hard on yourself. Okay. Second thing is we're going to talk about um, the, me- or the mechanics of focus. And this is like super important, especially for a lot of chiropractors. We work with our amiables and amiables are really aware of their environment. And so they get distracted so much. And even for us, as we're working with people, um, we're doing a 90 day focused get things to change. And, and half of all of that 90 days is like, that's not on the plan. 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 Like it's funny because so many times you're like, well, what about this? Or how about if I just do this? Or what if I do that? And it's like, that has nothing to do with anything. And, uh, and I think this is the hardest thing. And this is, I, I am a recovering distraction addict. Totally. Yes, you are. And half the time I'm still like that. And I'm like, and by recovering, we mean like yesterday we're talking, I'm like, why are we talking about this right now? We're not doing that right now. (laughs) So, so this is part of self-awareness, but it's also helpful if you have someone around you that also can help you be aware. (laughs) So maybe Brandy, get into a little bit about uh, what this is and why this derails your success. Well, it feels good. We just did a call in our private membership group on biohacking neurotransmitters and what distraction does is give lots of good dopamine like it gives such a hit of dopamine when you can just think about things that are exciting that are absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you're not gonna do it and so like it's super exciting to think about it especially if you feel relatively burnt out you feel like you haven't gotten control over things you haven't learned how to self-regulate you tend to be yeah like don said we're constantly like well you tell me you filter it through what you told us you wanted. And does that even make sense? Oh, well, okay. Well, you put it that way. Well, what other way is there to put it? You can either change the outcome 
or you can sustain it for a period of time where you get some momentum, which builds a little bit of serotonin, gives you some serotonin, which is much more fulfilling, although it tends to be a little more boring. So the mechanics of focus really are about neurotransmitters. It's really about how much we are able to focus on something for a period of time that's going to give us some results. In order to know what that is, you need to know where where the key things are in the practice that require the least amount of energy from you with the most amount of focus that will give you the most results. And I find that most chiropractors don't know that. So they do a billion things for a billion reasons for hopefully a million different results. And they get general results. Lots of people do fine. Most people we work with, actually all the people we work with, none of them are suffering in practice. They just don't feel like they can get to the next level or have never gotten there. And they feel like there's something more. Like they just feel they're not they're not maximizing what they what their potential is. And that's the whole philosophy of chiropractic is maximize your potential. And that's what gnaws at the chiropractors in the back of their mind is they know they're yeah. they're not hitting their potential, but they're just not sure how come. But dopamine is like heroin. It is very powerful. It is we we want it, we need it, it's awesome. And so if we don't get it elsewhere, we get it through distraction and through things that really uh, are not relevant to what you want to do over the next 90, 160, six months, whatever it is. And in this day and age, I really do, Don and I have always sort of subscribed to the 90-day intensive because in the old days, we used to sign like year, what, 12-month, 18-month contracts with coaches and they were wonderful people. However, over a period of time, it just wasn't, like we should have been, we wanted to be blitzed and then stand on our own two feet. And so I think for a lot of people, they just need a narrowing of focus, like a little bit of like the wearing the blinders that the racehorses wear so that they can just see the end and everything towards the end is working on that. And in the beginning, it's a little exciting. And then after about 30 days or so, it gets less exciting. And then six or eight weeks in, they're starting to talk about things that are not relevant. And then we're just basically telling them to put the blinders back on. And then incredibly over, you just watch these practices just massively grow because sometimes you can't see it inside your own practice, what those areas are that would require the least amount of work from you that would give you the most amount of impact. Because again, it's your practice. You're in it all the time. That's the benefit of having somebody outside the practice give you a little bit of advice. So I think the mechanics of focus are really determining like, are you focused? If not, why not? And how much of that is really giving you that hit? And knowing if you're if you're constantly getting hits, it's really hard to get the longer term feeling of serotonin because you never really hang on to anything long enough and do the hard, heavy lifting that is quite boring, pretty low reward. Um, but over time, the reward comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny because I was I use the analogy of like dopamine is easy to get. So if you like it, we always talk about the marshmallow um, experiment where uh, people like one third of people cannot delay or a children cannot delay eating marshmallow in like 10 minutes. And that's just talks about people have a hard time delaying gratification. So dopamine is so easy to get nowadays, like with social media and, and like food and like alcohol, alcohol, all the different things you can get. Right. So, so if you want to just get your dopamine hits, it's just like around you in the circle. So I, I, I picture them like a marshmallow. So if you're in one place and ideally you'd like to get to a new, a different place, but you have marshmallows around you, you just spend all the time just eating marshmallows right around you. And you go to the right, you go to the left, you go behind you, you go in front of you. Uh, those are all the distractions that you can eat your marshmallows and you get dopamine hit. But then at the end of the day, there's no meaning because you feel like I haven't done anything. I'm in the exact same place. So it feels like those are empty, empty goals. 
we know serotonin needs to have some more meaning to it. So I always think visually we need to line up the marshmallows in a line. Uh, and cause we do need those little dopamine hits. That's like when you chunk things down, but, but at the end of all those, you've actually got to a new place that actually has meaning, which actually has you have that great feeling. And so I, I, I it's just, it's just funny how important it is. People don't realize how much they can get done in 90 days if they stay focused on something. Cause I, I think a lot of people we work with actually have never been focused for, on something for 90 days. Well, and the reason that number one for us was self-regulation is, is if you can't regulate, you can't focus. So right. the, when we were going over what would be a top, if somebody were to ask one thing ever, it's self-regulation because you can't focus if you can't regulate self. And right. so it requires such an intense amount of energy to shut out things that are not relevant because of that really desire for dopamine. And like Don said, it's not that you don't, you, you don't need it. You do need it, but how you get it is so critically important. And, you know, one example is I, oh my God, I get like people sending me stuff all the time on Facebook because of my social media following, which I never read. So if it's you sending me stuff, I never, I don't read it. So articles. Now that, that, that being said, that's like, if they just message you an article, they, you still read it if you actually ask a question or something. Oh, no, no. I'm talking about people sending me articles yeah. <laughs> uh, and then wanting me to get enraged to some degree about some article about some country or chiropractors that I have no control over it and neither do you. And so the more you're doing that, the less focus you have towards what you control. So I see it a lot on social media. I see it in responses. I see it in what people talk about. I see it in what they spend their time doing. And so that is, that is a self-regulation issue that looks like a focus issue. And so the two of them are really intimately connected. Third one. So if you master those two, then you're all ready for the third one, which last. I don't know if you ever master it. Well, you will already be mastering it. As I always tell all my practice members, you're a masterpiece in progress. So it's always, yes. you're yes. always in process. Um, so the last one is quite interesting. Um, I was, um, I'm reading a book called Peak. And Peak is a research uh, guy who's really trying to figure out like what's what's the difference between like the top performers. You hear this all the time because all the people who are trying to research what is the ultimate performance. Um, and, and so it's quite interesting is he his information and his research is what uh, Malcolm Gladwell used to um, to write the book Outliers and his 10,000 hours. And it's funny because he complains about the way that Malcolm uses his 10,000 hours as an example. He said, because it's not, he actually only agreed with one thing. And I think it was just that you have to be committed to change, but that was about it. So, because they said, if you do 10,000 hours of anything, you'll be a, you'll be a professional at it or you'll be an expert at it. And, uh, and he said, absolutely not. Because people think if you do something more often that you get better at it. And that's absolutely false. Well, it's true only if you're actually improving and being aware of it. And he call it, they call it deliberate practice and deliberate practice means that you're doing it, but you're also, and we talk about awareness, you're actually, you're correcting and you're improving and you're correcting, you're tweaking and you're, and, and that does not happen if you're just doing it. So he uses an example of um, like a tennis player, like you're just a casual tennis player and you're playing t tennis with a friend and you just keep playing and keep playing most people actually don't get better. And actually over time, they actually get worse. And the reason being is that like, he's used this, for example, if you're a really poor backhand in tennis, 
um, and you're playing, but only there's a few times that you get the backhand that you have to use and then you lose the point. You're just hoping you don't get too many backhand shots. And it's not not until you become either self-aware and you create like a framework for yourself to improve or you have a coach that will actually uh, point that out to you and then you improve or that you record it and then you go back and listen to it afterwards or watch it afterwards and then improve uh, that you don't, they don't have improvement. So we've really found this huge with, uh, with chiropractors as far as their communication styles goes and also adjusting. We've, we've been working a little bit with chiropractors also just with their adjusting technique and just increasing the awareness towards it. And it, and it's amazing how things work. So Brandon, why don't you go into a little bit about some of the things we've seen with some deliberate practice with, uh, communication. Well, not just communication. Like, let's let's talk about adjusting. That's the probably the most significant thing we've seen is that, um, you know, if, if you graduated from chiropractic college, you certainly did not have enough deliberate practice. You just had enough practice to learn the very basics of adjusting. Even even those of uh, even the young grads we know from schools that do even way more adjustments, still, it is not enough. And because what happens with deliberate practice is we're dealing with humans that need different uh, approaches. And so I think the deliberate practice, one of the things we noticed is that biomechanically, uh, just like Don said, if you have a crappy backhand and you just, you actually now have adapted your style to a crappy backhand in tennis, you can still be, you can still be a pro with a crappy backhand. I see this all the time in golf, all the time. I'm always saying, I'm watching this particular men sometimes women, but I see it really with men because of their strength and um, speed of their golf swing. I look at their form and I think to myself, how does that guy even hit the damn ball? And he does, they often hit it and they hit it pretty good. But the way that I've been taught with perfect form, it's so interesting to me because you can actually still get the outcome met with really crappy form. And so that, and they have deliberately practiced and adapted their swing so that they hit the ball. And if you change, so one of the examples that we had with one of our young Kairos is uh, just the way that uh, she was towing off all the time in an adjustment basically was doing, she's basically doing like a calf raise, like hundreds and hundreds of time a week. So what do you think is going to happen to somebody's calf or Achilles if you do that? And as we corrected that, it just reminded me of when I tried to correct my drive and golf, it just feels so brutal because I have deliberately practiced a form that is inappropriate, but it still got my needs met until it doesn't. So I think that was a big thing is biomechanics and adjusting. We really, we really applied deliberate practice to that because when you start to interrupt a deliberate practice, if it's been an adapted deliberate practice, it does take some time to obviously recreate a new muscle memory. It's the same with communication. We find that if we ask people when the last time they videoed or listened to their first visit, their report of findings, their reavals, how they listen to what they say in the, on the table, um, it's usually never. Because it, it seems that for whatever reason, once people graduate and they go into practice, they don't really, back to self-regulation, they feel like they don't want to listen to themselves. That's what I get all the time. I don't want to listen to myself. Well, that's really hard to to improve your mastery if you don't have any self-awareness of what's actually happening. And I promise you, most people don't. If you don't listen to yourself after the fact, and the thing is about listening to yourself is it's not even, it's like watching yourself. It's when I have work with a golf pro or they video it. 
And part of why people don't want to see themselves is because you beat yourself up about it. And back to self-regulation, if you stay in that, that's why you never improve. So rather than looking at it as this kind of extended version of yourself and pointing out, because really, until you see yourself, it's really hard to correct yourself. And so that's seeing yourself. Um, you can handle it. I promise you, you'll be able, it's just like your emotional stuff. You can handle it where you're designed to handle it. But if you avoid it, you just never move to the next level. And so the deliberate practice is really about, I think, either, like Don said, either seeing yourself for what is happening or having somebody outside of you um, have you see yourself. And we don't video biomechanics or communication uh, for, for any advice, actually. All, all we need to do is just like we do with our practice members with our vital signs is we ask them what they think. Because when somebody is outside of themselves observing themselves, they see it. And when somebody sees it, they will immediately transform. It's crazy versus you trying to teach them theoretically. So I think deliberate practice is about you seeing it. It's so interesting. The, um, the one of the examples they used in the book is they talked about radiologists, which is cool because chiropractic would, would understand this because we read x-rays. And they said that, um, that as, they, as they go through their schooling um, and they read x-rays and then, and then the teachers come back and tell them if they read it correctly or if they missed something, um, they that's how they develop their skill and then they found that the longer that uh radiologists were in practice the worse they got at reading x-rays and the less accurate they got over time and they said that all of the continuing education like so how we have to in regulated countries we have to get ce hours and they actually uh measured the the um the benefit or the effectiveness of the CE hours on improving their actual skill at being more accurate reading x-rays. And it was zero, like it didn't help them at all because sitting in a classroom is like zero. Uh, just to listen to information is basically zero improvement. The only way it would be improvement is if you're disciplined enough to take it back and then it, like uh, implement it and then remeasure it and then see if it's working and all that kind of stuff. So what they did is they actually changed the CE hours for these radiologists. And what they had is they actually had uh, they had them go through case studies. And I think it was like they, they'd have to go through 30 or 40 different x-rays. Um, they've already been pre-read by someone else and they already know what the uh, expect or, or what the outcome was. Well, the other thing was too, is that for the radiologist, the challenge is, is if they read an x-ray, um, they often don't know if they were right afterwards because they don't know what the outcome of it is. If they're looking for cancer or they're looking for something like that, they don't even know what the outcome is. So they just kind of read it. And then at the end of the day, they don't actually get any feedback on it. And so then over time, they just get worse and worse. So what they did is they changed their continuing education hours so that they actually would have to go through case studies and then they'd have to uh, give them what they, what they said. And then they would actually get feedback on what actually happened so that they could actually improve the next time they're reading x-rays. So I thought that was pretty interesting because as far as adjusting goes too, a, a lot of people, I don't know, um, we, a lot of people don't really have that, that that practice time where you actually go through adjusting and then have someone observing you and then actually even being recorded and then coming back in like, uh, <laughs> we'll bring it back to a, a sports analogy where you play the game and then you watch the video after. And that's what they do with sports and pro sports is you actually watch video after so that you can go outside your body and actually come back to see, to see the changes. So I think that's a, that's a huge Thing that hasn't been happening in chiropractic and especially like a lot of uh, schools uh, they aren't even really teaching adjusting very much anymore 
And, uh, and so any improvement in that would be a huge, I think, for your results in chiropractic. Unless you go to a technique seminar. But right. if, you're, if you've been in practice forever and you don't, you're not doing technique seminars or you don't, that's not part of your thing, yeah, you, you basically have adapted to whatever your technique is without ever really looking at that externally. And even um, those of us that teach, that is why we're good at what we do because we're deliberately practicing all the time because we have to teach it. And so if you're not teaching it and you're not getting feedback from it, then it's not that you're, t- I mean, everybody's like, well, I'm good. Uh, nobody said you weren't good. It's for people who feel like they want the next level, the next level of improvement. And for a lot of chiropractors, we find that is one of their values is that self-improvement, continued evolution, continued transformation. And many of them understand like this life that we're leading is this whole life of evolution. And that we're, when we're constantly kind of evolving, it's exciting. And that really does give you a lot of the, of the dopamine hit, I think. So I think the deliberate practice is such a key part of, of people's growth process because they can get some feedback. Like you said, if you get no feedback, one of the things we do is we ask people if they're shifters, we do, we do all the, the case studies with them. We hate calling them cases, but the, the people stories with them um, around what the vital signs look like and what, and, and it's funny because I, we don't even need to know anything about the new person. The, this person could be in a country three continents away and we'll be like, they are, let me guess this, 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 this is happening. And the chiropractor is like, Oh my God. And we don't, we didn't meet the person. We didn't do the, the life history or case history with them. But when you do it so often and so much just and you're outside of it, you see, see the data and you're outside of it, which is what those radiologists would have experienced from people who'd already read the x-rays. It's much different. And then the more feedback you give to somebody, the faster they get at doing the same thing. So I think that's the key is either you either need a mechanism to bounce it off somebody or you need to have enough uh, internal or intrinsic drive to do it yourself, which is pretty difficult, but not impossible. Lots of people can do it themselves. Well, I was just going to say one of the things they, they adamantly said in the book, too, is that there is no staying the same. So even if people say I'm good, uh, if you don't need a liberal practice, you just get worse. And that's, oh. that's just uh, entropy. It's a law of the universe, right? Things will break down into lower order. So uh, you have two, kind of two options. You either you, you do some deliberate practice and, and raise the skill or else just over time, it just gets it just gets worse. So that being said. What kind of uh, words of uh, inspiration would you like to leave everybody with since we haven't been on here for like two or three months? <laughs> well, let's just wrap the top three. I think the top yeah. three things we've observed over the last um, eight months of working with people. And, you know, we don't, we only take five or six on at a time. So it's a hundred percent of everybody we've worked with have exploded their practice. So I'm pretty proud of that for that from, from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, they have had record months, record days, record weeks, record collections, um, or uh, record experiences with either healing, health, um, mental health stuff, uh, relationship stuff. Yeah, so injuries. It's, it's been injuries. It's been pretty pretty cool. And the three things that every single one of them did or are doing is number one, learning to self regulate better. Uh, number two, learning the mechanics of focus because they can self-regulate better. And number three, they're deliberately practicing those areas in the practice that are that require the least amount of work for them with the most amount of impact to their business. 
And those are the three things that they have done consistently and the results show relatively quickly after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, if, if you guys out there listening can, can kind of dig into a little bit of that stuff, I think our, co- our, our key is to come out of this um, COVID thing. I know it's still on full blast, but uh, to come, come out just as strong as we possibly can. And, and that's another reason why we also don't want to get distracted with our focus uh, and wear our health down because chiropractors need to look after themselves and be vital because we're really finding a lot of chiropractors are not vital. Um, and then they can't grow and they can't make the different impact, the impact they'd like to make on their community when they're not vital. So the funny thing is, is, is every single person we worked with had different, different goals and different challenges. But the funny thing is, is that at the end of the day, this the results are, are happening for all of them that their practice gets better because we always say the best thing about your practice is it's all about you. And the worst thing about your practice is it's all about you. And so at the end of the day, the cool thing about uh, working with chiropractors or being a chiropractor is it's all about you. And so you improve everything when you improve. And, and so that's why we always get back down to the basics and, and make sure that people are, are, are working on the things that are important to them. Well said, honey, there's your words cool. of wisdom. There we go. So um, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. And You're welcome. And for everybody out there, um, I'll try not to be as delinquent again um, and not be so long before I have the next next episode. Um, and then until next time, shift on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.